Hello and welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Krauss, licensed professional counselor. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about authentic masculinity and the second half of life. I have a special guest with me, Adam Nash, a limited licensed professional counselor. Hello. Soon to be a licensed professional counselor here in the state of Michigan, Adam has over, what, 12 years now of experience Mm -hmm. working with teenagers in a variety of settings, including as a community mentor and a clinician at a medical facility and other places. Adam now works at Health for Life Grand Rapids as an adult therapist. He spends a lot of time working with males, but also females, Mm -hmm. and Adam has been working a lot lately on men's work and issues about transitioning from young adulthood to the second part of life. Adam, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I grew up uh, and was really focused in my initial uh, working in the mental health profession with teens because that's what I was passionate about at first. Uh, At this point now, I've really transitioned to being super passionate about especially men. Like you said, I work with women too, but especially men because I find that especially here in like Western culture, especially America, there's been a really hard time for men and figuring out what it means to authentically be a man. Um, And I think that in that there's a huge process of figuring out how are you going to be a man in the, like in the modern world and the current climate. And so I just think that that's kind of become a big passion of mine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it can be very confusing. There's a lot of messages. And I think mm-hmm. in the postmodern Western world, there are many conflicting messages and many strong opinions about what it is to be a man. Yeah. Yet our culture doesn't seem to have—we're uh, such a large culture here in the United States, mm-hmm. at least, that we don't have like one sort of agreed-upon ritual or yeah. sort of rites of passage— yeah. Um, thing where people will go through that. So there's yeah. just so many. Yeah. One of the things that existed for a long time prior to like, like I said, kind of like the Western, like modern uh, world was that often a man would have, like you said, a ritual. They would go out, they would do something with uh, other men often. And that would kind of be like they're moving into uh, authentic like manhood or moving into adulthood. And a lot now, we don't really have that. Um, like even for myself, speaking from my own personal experience, um, my dad was very, I wouldn't say absent, but he was very distant in that he was working. He pretty much worked two jobs my entire life. I have four older siblings, and it was just kind of needed that he worked all the time. So he worked overnights at the post office, and then he would immediately go to another job. And in that, I didn't really build that relationship with my dad of like, doing work alongside him or like kind of spending time seeing what he was doing. And so that has for a long time really affected me. And so I think this is a a really personal kind of podcast too, because I feel very much I'm on much of this journey of trying to figure out what it looks like for me to be uh, like an adult man and what it looks like to, to be all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you sharing some of your story. And I think that would be good for you to share your story throughout this if you, as you feel comfortable, mm-hmm. because stories are very important. And a lot of times we get stuck in our story in sort of a negative spiral or a negative loop yeah. uh, due to various experiences or traumas or perceptions of events. And especially uh, growing up, like you said, with a father who wasn't around much because he had to provide for the family, 
then who exactly was your role model? Who exactly was around for you to um, model your behavior after? Or, you know, or, or, or were you just told how to behave or, you know, what was that like? Yeah. I think that, I, I think that's a tough thing for me was like, I didn't really ever feel like I had someone to model that. So like the real truth is the reason why my original passion was teenagers was because as a teen, I didn't have any male in my life that I really like felt modeled that or like was with me and saying like, Hey, this is how you be an adult male. And so I felt like that was my passionate place to go because I was like, I never got that. So I'm going to kind of help people out in that. And since then, um, I've kind of started to move away from that because one, when I was an older, like when I was a young adult, when I was in my mid twenties, I actually got the chance to, uh, work one of those two jobs with my dad. And I actually ended up being my dad's supervisor, which is kind of a funny experience. (laughs) Um, and in that I got a chance to really like build a relationship with him for the first time and kind of see what it's like to be like, to, to see my dad work and be a man kind of thing and provide for my family in that way. And so that kind of started the journey of me kind of figuring out how to, um, as uh like we'll we'll talk a lot about this guy as Robert Bly talks about kind of separating from the mother right and that mm-hmm. that was kind of the start of that kind of process and so for me that's kind of been a, an ongoing process of kind of moving away from that and i think that's kind of why i'm now more focused on like young adults and males because i think it's um the thing that i've seen as like a big kind of need now if that makes sense yeah there's definitely a big need for work men's work and there mm-hmm. was a lot of men's work uh being done in the 80s and 90s yeah. robert bly james hillman um i can't even remember i've listened to a bunch of it on some of the recordings <laughs> yeah, yeah. those and you know i know richard Rohr is doing some of that now and there's mm-hmm. some more lewis howes i guess is sort of getting into that a little bit um and there's i think there's a big need for it because what i've been seeing is basically uh post-college yep or college age, I say maybe people went to trade school, they just worked or whatever. Mm-hmm. In the early 20s, all the way into 40s, I'm finding um, yeah. males that I meet, and including myself, I was one of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am one of these, mm-hmm. I suppose. <laughs> I'm st- almost 40, not there yet. But um, it, they feel confused and conflicted yeah. about um, how they're supposed to show up in relationship with other males. Mm-hmm. There's one. Mm-hmm. How they're supposed to act around, if they still have parents, how are they supposed to act around their father? Yep. How are they supposed to act around their mother? How are they supposed to be around their siblings? What yep. role do they take? And um, depending on their orientation, how do they act around women or how do they act around male partners? Yeah, And it's very confusing because there's a lot of different messages being um, out there. And I, I'm not trying to put this on men because, you know, we can always just point the finger, but I will say that, um, you know, uh, there, there needs to be more older men investing in younger men in this country because, uh, that has helped me tremendously. Mm -hmm. I've had multiple older male mentors right now. I have a mentor who's 72 and a mentor who's 75 and my grandfather was a mentor to me. And, uh, you know, my dad has taught me a lot of things as well in his own way. And, um, without that, I would be, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I think that there it's, it's so necessary. And without that, we, we are finding 
men trying to figure themselves out in violent ways. Yeah. Drugs, um, abusing other men or women, mm-hmm. um, trying to find themselves, getting it, they get into trouble. Yeah. I mean, there's a you reason did, yeah. car insurance rates are the <laughs> highest for men between like 18 and 27. Yeah, I think of that same vein too. Like we see a lot of the... Uh, super aggressive climbing up the ladder perspective of like the corporate ladder, which we'll talk about, I think a little bit later, but I also think uh, an interesting thing off of that is so in uh, the book, iron John by Robert Bly, who you said just a second ago as well, he talks about kind of like the history of men. And he talks about how like in the forties the and before traditionally the male role model was working at the house, right? Like we're talking farming and we're talking about that kind of stuff. Mm. And then slowly as we've gone along throughout the 50s and 60s, we've kind of moved away from that. And for a stretch of time there, there was also this thing that um, kind of happened where there was almost like, this is the best way I can think to say it, is like the feminization of men, where like men were then spending so much more time around the mother figures. And so they became like, Robert Black kind of describes it as became weak men, right? Right. Okay. And so, like, what's happened is because <clears throat> because the men aren't working next to us, and we're not seeing like our father working, and we're not working with our father, then or father figure. It doesn't have to be actually sure. your father. Then um, we've kind of lost that ability to see that work happening right so like men are often like i talked about with my dad my dad was often very far away he was working um you know downtown and i lived in the suburbs right and so like i never saw his work and so what that meant was i never got modeled how to really be like how to work right if that kind of makes sense and thus how to be like that provider piece that a lot of men, most men have, right? If that kind of makes sense. Right. Yeah. And, and um, yes, and also uh, the weak men thing. Uh, there is a very positive part about embracing your feminine side as For a man. sure. But I think there is a confusion because um, what we've seen is women are you know, have really helped men out. I mean, they've filled in the gaps for mm-hmm. the yeah, father definitely. that are away. But I think part of the problem being a male is... Uh, you're trying to figure out who you are as a man, and without that example, you may, I don't know, take on too many unconscious traits of the feminine without knowing it, and yeah. thus, um, <laughs> this is where it gets confusing. <laughs> you might, you might not know how to exercise your your manhood authentically. You yeah. may overcompensate. Yeah. You may say, "Well, I feel so weak inside, so what I'm going to do is act like a tough guy yeah. and be a jerk," mm-hmm. or I might. Um, talk a big game because I feel weak inside and I feel kind of like I'm emasculated. Mm-hmm. Or I may try to overcompensate by buying a big truck yeah. and never drive it off road. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, and, and, or try to be a cowboy and, or make fun of guys who are even um, effeminate or whatever. Yeah. And, and there's, and so that's, that, that's where some of the confusion comes in because, you, you need to have a balance of masculine and feminine, whatever that energy is. I mean, that's just a label. But, yeah. but what we were talking about was the history where men kind of like grew their hair long in the 60s. And yep. and then now in the 80s and 90s became like kind of corporate drones. Yep. Um, and then up to now, it's even, I don't even know what's going on right now. Lots <laughs> of things are going on right now. Maybe we're becoming robots. but <laughs> Cyborgs. Um, yeah. Essentially... Um, Again, there there isn't something in our culture where the tribal cultures that Robert Bly talks about and James Hillman talk about in their yeah. writings, they at 
what's happening is you have this ego mm-hmm. and you, you want to dominate everything. You want to yeah. dominate your father. You want to dominate your mother. When you're a teenager, you yep. have this like, I'm going to conquer thing. right? Yeah. And what we're finding out in the United States, I think what in your, and you can go into this is that men are never, not, not all men, but a lot of men aren't getting their ego tamed. They're not getting mm-hmm. smacked down. Um, and so therefore they just keep growing and growing and growing and getting more grandiose yeah. and more into themselves. And then what happens is they have, have terrible relationships, mm-hmm. terrible relationships with the man or woman in their life, terrible relationships with their friends yeah. and awful relationships at work and God save the children. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. like it's bad because the, if you just keep growing and it's more and it's, it's ego and you don't, you don't know your own power, yeah. you can't be a warrior yeah you're just either a soldier or a bully yep soldiers or bullies soldiers follow whatever people say and bullies try to take power and a warrior has to learn when is the right time to fight and defend people and when is the right time to use diplomacy or words and emotions yeah so um we i think we see a lot of this because um for a long time i you know the workplace was dominated by men and then if workplace is dominated by men and the politics is dominated by men, that means money is dominated by men. Yeah. And if money is dominated by men in our culture, which is the, our culture is built on the idea of the myth of the bottom line being the most important thing, which is how much money you have and that equals speech and power, mm-hmm. then men are in charge. And then if that's not checked and there's no older men checking them and saying, oh, dude, slow down here. Yeah. I mean, you, you see terrible acting out in the corporate world, in the relationships, um, you know, it's just, it plays out everywhere and it's, it's not good. We need checks and balances. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, talk yeah, a little bit so about that. So one of the things that I've seen, like, I agree with everything you said. Um, and one of the things that I see a lot is that there's a thing of, um, various people say it certain ways. Like, uh, I think Robert Bly talks about like a, I think he uses a Greek term. I think it's pronounced catabis or something along those lines, which is just like the falling down or the breaking away. Um, and then Richard Rohr talks about much the same thing in his book, Falling Upward, about how uh, you need to kind of have like a breaking of that ego, right? And I think that what's happened is that, like we were talking about earlier with the uh, the, the male figure kind of moving out of the house and working elsewhere is what what's happened is now we've run into a generational thing where men haven't ever had their ego checked right by their father by or their father or somebody else yeah right. by anyone really because their mother mothers usually don't they're not built for that that's yeah. not their instinct yeah mother's instinct instinct in general which we're always talking being generalizations here, we go. here anyway. but uh is that they're a little bit more nurturing and caring right so when when a guy falls down, the mother is more likely to pick him up and put a bandaid on the wound kind of idea. Okay. Again, generalization. The, the man or the father is more likely to say, get up, you're fine, you know, put some dirt on it, move on. Right. So in that, that's where your, uh, your ego gets checked. Right. If you talk about any athlete, a great athlete, they'll say one of the big things that happened in their life was when they had a massive injury and they had to figure out how to play the sport more cerebrally, right? As opposed to just to rely on their athleticism, right? So out of that, 
we now are running into a situation where we have this generations of like men not ever moving into, as Richard Rohr talks about, like the second part of life, right? So that that's kind of something we're talking about, which is like the real true adult part, right? So Richard Rohr uses this, uh, he steals some stuff from Carl Jung, who's amazing, but um, he talks about like how, so Carl Jung talks about how there's like two parts of life, okay? And they're categorized, do I need to talk a little louder? Sorry. It's categorized by uh, building the container and then uh, filling the container, okay? So the first half of life, like you were talking about, is all about ego. It's all about like, I need to strive to be great. I need to climb the corporate ladder. I need to look good, right? And that's the whole, that's the first half of life. I got to build my identity. Yep. I got to, this is what I'm going to look like, right? So if you think about the container, I'm going to paint the container to look cool. It's going to reflect who I am, right? Um, And then the second half of life is categorized by filling the container, which means that during that time, you're finding valuable things and you're putting it in the container, right? So out of that mindset, if we are stuck never moving into that second part of life because like we talked about earlier, there's no ritual or because we don't have a father figure in our life of any kind that moves us there. Then what that means is we're going to continue to strive, right? So we're going to continue to do things like, um, you know, climb up the corporate ladder. Like I said, really aggressively, we're going to continue to move from woman to woman because we just need to add another notch in our tool belt. We're going to continue to need the next car, need the next thing, because we're just trying to look good exteriorly, right? Mm -hmm. So in that, again, both Robert Bly and Richard Rohr, and I would imagine also probably Carl Jung, but I'm not 100% positive, talk about the fact that there has to be a falling down, right? So I kind of jokingly say that the ritual is the pushing down. It's almost like you're being shoved into it. It's like now is going to be the time you're going to trip and fall and go through the pain. And in our culture, we don't really have that. So what often has to happen is we have to truly go through like a really bad consequence. Yes, because in the rituals um, that we were talking about, they in the, especially in these old in some of these ancient cultures that they talk about in the book, they actually almost risked their lives yeah. and they would confront death and therefore your ego is going, you know what, you're not just infinite. You have to think about more than just your needs and what you want and how you look and what's good for you. So uh, we can talk a little bit about the falling down. I think you were talking about in Robert Bly's book, Iron John, was yeah. it Taking the Road of Ashes? Yeah. So then there's a second, there's like, the, uh, Robert Bly puts a couple more than two, but I think mm-hmm. it's best to sum it up into two. So there's the falling down, and then there's also like kind of the idea of the road of ashes, right? Mm -hmm. So in this road, it's almost like the road you enter into that isn't really like, it doesn't have to be categorized by a major loss, but it's almost like an almost half an intentional and then almost kind of just like an unintentional falling into like a depressed state or depression or something like that, right? And that's where we meet clients a lot is in that situation where, they maybe didn't lose the job or get a divorce, but they're just feeling inadequate, right? And so, um, like, the, there's this quote by Robert Bly that I just want to read that kind of summarizes this, which is, uh, he says, The mark of dissent, whether untaken, undertaken consciously or unconsciously, is a newly arrived at low, lowliness, associated with water and soul, as height is associated with spirit, Okay. 
Um, the lucky lo- the lowliness happens particularly to men who are initially high, lucky, or elevated. Okay, so if you're already in a good place, then it's more likely that you're going to be pulled down, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like I said, you can continue to have the great job, the great wife, the great car, the great house, and still be pulled into this depressive state, and that's kind of the ashes state, right? So that's where we see a lot of men going through this process of like, I'm depressed, I'm down, but I have all the markers of being good. Oh, so by society's markers, we have possessions and we have security and we have a partner and we have the things that the media says we should have and the uh, the, uh, the people down the block have, mm-hmm. but we all of a sudden just feel dark inside. We feel ashes. And I think there was a metaphor to, I think this might be from James Hillman's work, but... Um, the idea of the cinder boy. Yep, that's who, from Robert Bly. Was that Robert Bly? Yeah. Where he, in, I think it was Norway, they mm-hmm. had the fires on the in these like tents, and it seemed to be like a lot of boys would, they call them cinder boys, um, they wouldn't feel like they had a purpose. And they yeah. were kind of like the, the outsider or the loner, and they would just sit by the fire, and once these like dark col- charcoals would cool down, they would just chew on them. Yeah. And they would just lay there and like cover themselves in ashes because they felt so down and depressed. Yeah. And then they tell he tells a story about one um, who became one of the greatest warriors ever. But it was like he had to go that low to be able to find his ability to stand up, and he had to descend before he could find his true warrior self. Because yeah. before that, you're just elevated. You're just happy go lucky. Life is great. Um, I you know I have a lot of things going for me. And as a male in society, um, I have never, you know, been a woman, but I've talked to a lot of women, <laughs> and it seems, uh, at least until uh, for the past several thousand years, yeah. a little easier to get things that you want um, when you have when you're a male, and yeah. and for various reasons. Yep. Um, and so then we, you know, you can get a little full of yourself, a little elevated, for sure, and so. If we keep, if we never get that checked, there there's massive problems. So when do we check that? And everyone has to go. Th- not everyone. It, it would be useful if everyone went through it. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know that that you know taking the road of ashes and going lowly, going down to lowliness. Yeah. And moving into a, a, an awareness of suffering, I think, is part of it. Um, yeah. And not just all about me. Otherwise, you can't you can't be part of a community as as a healthy community as much mm. anyway. Yeah. There's a, uh, I'm going to paraphrase this quote by Richard Rohr and he kind of uses like spiritual terminology, but he basically says, um, never get rid of a sin until you know what it's teaching you. And that's kind of the deal with the ashes thing is like, never get up out of the ashes till you know what you're learning in the ashes. And so that's where you get to the point of like, you're kind of down in this lowly place but so often, especially for, for us here in America, it's like, just get up, right? Like, just yeah, get, get up, up drink you know, a Red Bull, go back yeah. to work. You know, like, if you do go through something bad, right, you're, you get a divorce, you lose a job, what's the, what's the response? Within a day, you're on Tinder, and, <laughs> you know, within a week, you have a new job, right? You're not really learning anything from the experience because you're just moving right to the next one, right? So, like, in that, I think that there's a matter of... Um, being aware enough, okay, which being aware enough of what is going on 
to to learn from the experience and also going internally. Yep. So learning from the experience externally, but you have to be able to go internal because if we keep making the ego the priority, the ego cares about how it looks. Yeah, exactly. And and I think a big part of that is going to be um, like noticing. I think emotions is a big part of that, right? So that's what when we talked about earlier with like the the kind of the the more feminine side of men, right? Mm-hmm. The that what was being attempted in the seventy the seventies and eighties with that was to get men to be more emotionally attuned, right? Like that right. was the end goal, and that's kind of the thing that I think really we need to get out of that situation is how do we actually notice what what's going on emotionally, right? Like how do we notice what we're feeling about something? Because like we said, if you look just externally. You could very well, in the ashes idea, if you look just externally, nothing's wrong, right? Everything's everything looks great, but you're but you're stuck in this this down point, right? And so um, there's a great out, book out there by um, Robert Augustus Masters, I believe is his name. It's called Emotional Intimacy, and he talks about this concept of <clears throat> basically you have to in kind of that same ashes vein. You have to be willing to like sit with your emotions, right? So, so many men that I know, it's like, I mean, what emotions do you know that most men have? Anger, <laughs> happiness. That's kind of it, right? There right. Might, there might be another one or two, but like for the most part, that's all they have. And I think what he talks about is like you have to be able to sit with those emotions and those feelings in order to know what you're feeling because then you can respond appropriately. Because if everything that happens in that ashes thing comes out as I'm sad and I'm kind of depressed, anger, well, then anger is going to always drive you towards like, I would say anger is always going to drive you towards continuing to strive, continuing to build that ego, right? Continuing to like really make the ego um, look good. Um, and push away relationships. Yeah, push away relationship, push away support, push away people, right? And so I think that that's a a, a big important thing for there for that. So for me, like just to go back to sharing a little bit of my own story with that, I uh, <clears throat> I actually graduated, <clears throat> sorry, from my master's program, and immediately I got my dream job, air quotes around that dream job. Uh, and spent nine months in the worst working environment I've ever been in and very quickly was like, oh, this is miserable. Like this is this is the worst situation I could possibly be in. And in throughout that time, I did a lot of self-reflecting of saying, like, what is this trying to teach me about myself? Like, what is the what is the next thing, right? Like what's the next part of life is kind of the question that became really um, important there. And so that's, that's kind of what led me towards like ending up at health for life. And then also ended up with me here, like now looking at men as opposed to like working with teenagers. So you had to go through a really bad experience essentially to be able to find out, you know, what you how you wanted to work with people and what you wanted. So you went from this like high of like, I found my dream job. And then all of a sudden you realized this is terrible. And it was like a terrible grind and there was no way out for a long time. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that, that forced me to, um, like I said, that forced me to analyze kind of where I was at and 
just kind of figure out what the next step was, right? Um, I do want to real quick, I have this quote here that kind of talks about this ashes thing. So uh, Robert Bly says, like, ashes and cinders in fairy tales are code words for the ashy, sooty depression out of it time, right? So that kind of, for me, that time of working in that air quotes dream <laughs> job mm-hmm. was very much that time. It was out of, it was out of like, it was just out of it. I didn't feel like I knew where I was going. I was like, I'm working to build this box, but the box is just like not really, it's not getting to the point that I wanted to. So what do I do next? What's the next step? That kind of makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you had to internally look inward and the external was also dark and having trouble. It was like a depression. We're using the word dark in like a metaphorical way, but essentially you were you were in a dark spot and a and a troubling period of time and that mm. and you went inward and then you learned some lessons i yeah. suppose and then you had to and then <laughs> you had sure. to Lots integrate that and yeah. then and then move into a new opportunity when you worked for us when we were a startup yep. and it wasn't you know it was an adventure it wasn't really um <laughs> you know totally fleshed out at the beginning so yeah yeah and that's where i would say like i think um, for me anyways, uh, I'm kind of flipping two things on their head for what Robert Bly talks about in Iron John. But I think for me then, like you said, the adventure, I think there's this part that Robert Bly talks about where you, uh, he kind of says you leave with the wild man or you leave with Iron John. You kind of go mm-hmm. out into the wilderness, right? Yeah. And I think for me, going into doing private practice and building up a you know kind of my own business and all this stuff was very much that like entering out into the wilderness like what what the hell's about to happen kind of yeah. thing, right like right. where are we going what are we going to do <clears throat> and like how are we going to step out into this like wild atmosphere this wild place and be be able to manage it <clears throat> sorry um and i think that that's like a super important process in the thing too is like at some point <clears throat> to go back a little bit to like the uh, the stepping away from the mom thing, right? So for us, for for men traditionally, they have to at some point move away from from their mother, right? And for a long time, that looked like um, men going off to war of some kind. Okay, so like you know, prior to the last what fifty years, there was always a there was always like you eventually just went off to war. A ground war. Yeah, like a true, <laughs> legit ground war. And uh, and so in that, that was kind of often the breaking, right? Like you mm-hmm. went out, you went out into the wilderness, you figured out, you were hanging out around, you know, the band of brothers kind of group, Yeah, right? your tribe fought another tribe or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Or you went hunting for a long time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or went oh, whaling or whatever. Yeah, or like if we look at like the uh, um, Native American population, like, they had very much like rituals around like you go out into the woods, right? So there's like this true like going into something scary and dangerous, right? So in this Robert Bly talks about it as going out with uh with the with the Iron John, with the scary like wild man, right? And he kind of talks about like how when this boy leaves with him, at least for the moment he has to like stop fearing wildness, uh he has to fe- like stop fearing the hairiness. He says the emotion, and 
he has to like be ready to kind of go out into this, right? Right. He's got to stop fearing emotion, the body, nature. Yep. And um, Iron John, of course, this is a fairy tale that Robert yeah. Bly talks about and writes a lot of things about. It's a really good book. Um, but basically, Iron John appears primitive to him because mm-hmm. he's very connected to nature, the body, wildness. Um, and the boy comes from a king. He's from yeah. a, a kingdom. Yeah. And uh, so the boy is used to sort of privilege and, uh, you know, his mother watches him and and he's he's ready to, you know, ascend to be the king. Yeah. But he ends up leaving with with the wild man. And I think I think part of that is um, the metaphor. Uh, there's lots of metaphors, but one of the metaphors <laughs> I'm talking about here, I guess, is is when you take a risk. Yeah. And that can be taking a risk in a relationship. That can be taking a risk with a job. It can be taking a risk at trying your own thing out. You can be tr- taking a risk at, oh, just about any sort of expression. It can be taking a risk at breaking the family mold. Yeah. Um, and, and and leaving the mother is key for men because otherwise, how, how are you supposed to have a, a relationship with a partner yeah. if you're relying on the comfort of your mother and not to knock that, but you can't, it's hard to grow into yourself and feel that strength. And it's, it's very confusing. And, uh, for hetero men, uh, I, I would assume a lot of women, um, would say that, yes, the man does need to break from his mother so he can fully (laughs) understand and love the other, the woman that he's with. And I'm, I can't speak for the homosexual population, but I know that I'm assuming there's, dynamics there as well um yeah. and to be able to have a full partnership that you've got to be able to break and you have to you know again we have to break from the father too we'll get to that <laughs> yeah it's called um individuation we have to break from the whole family structure at some point to become yeah. our own identity but there's this part in uh young adulthood to transition to adulthood where um you have to go out and you have to try things and you have to you can't just be what everyone else in the family structure or your tribe wants you to be. Um, otherwise you face other consequences. Yeah, exactly. And I think like in the, in the vein of uh, like you were talking about with uh, the, the risk, right. Is mm-hmm. I think that there's like, there truly is an inherent thing. And I would say in really probably everybody, but especially in men, especially teens and young adult men of risk, and what you see is in this attempt to get that that adventure, that wilderness experience, you see craziness, right? You see like men be like, you know, I think of this is kind of a throwback, but I remember when Travis Pastrana threw the first double backflip on a motorcycle, like on a dirt bike, and he got done and they interviewed about it, him about it. And he said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever done. I'm never doing that again, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's this, there's this problem in that in our attempts to find that wilderness without really being willing to go through, like we talked about earlier, the ashy part of it, the sad, the, the down part of it, that we end up kind of like we end up putting ourselves in a very dangerous, risky place. Okay, so that's like the risky male behaviors yeah. because our ego is still inflated, but we think that we just need to go off there and get wild. And so that means we drive our car hundred miles an hour on the freeway and do risky things, get mm-hmm. in fights. Mm-hmm. Uh, people use substances. Uh, and that isn't it. Well, that might get you to your, to your falling down, <laughs> but um, it's not what we're talking about. We're yeah. not talking, going into the wilderness is actually going out on your own. And that means, 
breaking with the patterns, the status quo patterns that you're involved in. Yeah. And that is so difficult, not only mentally, psychologically, socially, but it is scary to break from the patterns that you have been habituated to have. Yeah. And that includes the family patterns. Uh-huh. Because even if you like your family's values and all the things they stand for and your culture, that's great. You have you can integrate that. Yeah. But you eventually have to make your own version of that. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just a copycat. Uh, exactly. And, and you won't you won't you it's not going to feel gratifying yeah i think about kind of like so we just came out of the holidays um you know christmas new year's all that stuff you know uh and (laughs) i think about how many people especially here in west michigan that go back home for christmas and then they say it was the worst experience i hated every moment of it and it's kind of like well why don't you break free from that right at a certain point you have to you have to find your own identity, right? Which doesn't mean you necessarily can't go back to your family for Christmas, but there's a piece of uh, uh, of individualization, right? Right. And that's kind of where we get into, um, I think, kind of the second part of life, right? Is like now we've kind of built what we look like, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we've made the container look great. We've put everything together. We have the house. We have the car. Whatever the thing, the things are that you feel like make you look good okay whatever culture you're in and that right but then we start to put what's valuable into our life right we start to we start to then have uh like maybe closer relationships right so that's where you were talking about with like you know the the pushing people away we talked about a little bit earlier right is when you start to value things that are not just external viewpoints then you start to be able to build healthier relationships, right? And so in order to get to that point, you have to have gone through that falling down and that depression in order to see, like, what is valuable to you, right? And so when you get into that phase, then you're starting to be able to, um, like, have authentic relationships, know your emotions, build not... Like, I think a a thing in that would be, like, you're able to uh, have friends that maybe don't fit the, like, perfect-looking friend mold, right? Stuff like that, because it's not, because your outward appearance is set. Like, your your ego is comfortable now, right? You don't have to keep proving yourself. Yeah, you're good with where your ego is. And so, as you kind of move into that phase, I think that all happens. I think another big thing, um, again, back to Richard Rohr, because he talks a lot about this, is when you start the the big thing about moving into the second part of life is you start to lose dualistic thinking, right? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So if you look right now in America at, you know, in no way is this going to be a political statement whatsoever, but everything politically is black and white, right? right. Blue and red. Blue and red, right? It's very aggressively that. If you're one, you hate the other. If you're the other, you hate the other one, right? Yeah. And like in that... There's this just constant, like, attack dog mode, right? So if we go back to the first part of life, remember we talked about this. What was the kind of, like, the kind of big part of the first part of life originally was going to war. War is very black and white. You're evil. I'm good. I kill you. The end, right? Right. And we're, we as a society, I would say, are stuck in that thinking. And so it's very hard to get out of it because you're just so used to it 
right? Right. It's, it is hard to break free when your culture of origin is not breaking out of black and white thinking, which, according to developmental psychology, is usually um, from about, I don't know, 13 or 14 all the way till 18, 19. And then we have to develop abstract thinking. We have to have deeper. Yeah. We have to have um, deeper thinking and critical thinking skills that things are not always as they seem. Not They're not just one-sided. There is yeah. much more to it. And uh, yeah, we're, I didn't, yeah, we're hitting on that point. That's, that's a huge issue right now. And, and if you pay attention, and that's why I think a lot of people who are stuck in that sort of us versus them standpoint, there's a lot of psychological duress that goes on, uh, maybe beneath the surface, um, beca- or with their, you know, with themselves. And if it doesn't, and they're convinced of it 100%, then well, then their friends and family are suffering. Yeah. Because um, you you aren't able to see the gray and all the rainbow between the yeah. black and the white in the situation. Yeah. Um, and so I think out of that, right, to talk about that gray for a second is like, I completely agree because you're going to like constantly be, I, I would jokingly refer to it as attack dog mode, right? You're constantly like, what's what's not lining up with my viewpoint of thinking, right? And I'm going to be attacking that. And I think in order to be able to um, get to that, and this is maybe <laughs> a deeper thought than we have time to fully go into, but there's the thought of shadow work, right? Like oh, how right. do you get into those deep areas that don't, really line up with your dualistic viewpoint of life, right? How can you sit there and say like, you know, um, this thing, like I hate this person, this political person I hate, but I can see that this thing that they did is good and makes sense, right? How do you put those together? That's kind of the shadow, like kind of like you're you're seeing the black and white, but then there's certain areas, right? If you put a light on in a room, there's certain areas that are pretty gray, Right. And yes. that's kind of how do you get into those areas? Um, and like I said, that's a whole nother, we could probably do a whole podcast on shadow work. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that that's a very important thought is like, how do you look at something and say, okay, somebody did something good. Right. Okay. How do you say, um, yeah. And, and it can be anything. Right. How can you look at your family that maybe you hate and be like, well, yeah, but they have good morals in this one area, right? Or reverse, how can you look at your family that you love so dearly and say, but they do these stupid things? Right, right? and so then how do you individuate and go to your family, and instead of going back and following the family script, that you say, here's what I need from you, Yeah, here's what I'm asking, this is what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. and bringing the implicit to be explicit. Yeah. And really, you have to do that through contemplation and uh-huh. reflection internally to be able to understand even what you want and, yeah. and what you need. Because when you're around the family culture, the, the you know, if you go back to your family of origin, your brain <laughs> will start adapting to certain patterns. We know that from some, <laughs> from neuroscience. Yeah. And you might start acting differently, maybe regressed or something. Um, and so there's a lot there to contemplate the... I guess what we're talking about the second half of life where, where we're individ, where we're wanting to individuate mm-hmm. and um, break down the ego to a point where the real some real work begins and then the the positive side of all this is that relationships deepen. Yeah. Um focus 
if you have a vocation um, that you don't like, you might shift that vocation. Yep. Or focus can change. Um, you to might you others. might take a job in the same vocation, but that's not going to pay you the same amount of money because it's more rewarding, right? Mm-hmm. You might, um, like I said earlier, you might get into relationships that you wouldn't have prototypically gotten into before because they don't fit. They're not business people, right? So, like, you start to enter into that. But, like, I want to read this quote real quick, just yeah, kind, of, kind of talking about the human ego from Richard Rory says, because we're talking a lot about how the ego is really, like, kind of trying to hold on, right? He says, the human ego prefers anything, just about anything, to falling, changing, or dying. The ego is that part of you that loves the status quo, even when it's not working. It attaches to the past and present and fears the future, right? So as we have this ego thing fighting in us, it constantly wants to stick with where we're at, right? It wants to keep going to our family. It wants to keep um, the same job. It wants to keep striving even towards if, something. Even if you're miserable. Even if it's just completely miserable, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're not willing to, like, I would say, go deeper into the miserableness, mm-hmm. you're never going to get past it, right? So kind of like to grab something from another um, th- thought, there's this book out there that's called Unfuck Yourself by... Uh, I always mix up his name. The Scottish dude. Scottish dude. It's either John Gary Bishop or Gary John Bishop. Yeah, you can Google it. Google it. Uh, He talks about how like every single person at the end of the day is wired to win, right? And so in that, you're either going to become so unhappy with where you're at that you move on from it, or you're going to become so so much desire to move to the next phase of your life that you're going to go to it, right? So that's kind of where it comes to you have to be willing to like Sometimes you have to be willing to say, man, I have to go a little bit deeper into this this crap in order to be able to be like, now I need to get out, right? If that kind of makes sense. Right. And so like, that's how you kind of push on the ego to force you to kind of let, let itself get free. It really comes down to it, like to the individualization question, it really comes down to who am I? apart from everyone else, right? I always ask my clients, if you're stranded on a desert island and there's no one around, who are you? Who's the person that's there on that desert island if there's no one to tell you who you are, right? And uh, Richard Rohr says it like this about that. He said, kind of to talk about both of those thoughts, he says, when you get the, the who am I question right, all of your what should I do with life questions tend to kind of take care of themselves. Because if if you know who your identity is, then you just you follow out of that identity to where you're wanting to go. So you have you're able to create purpose and meaning, which leads to satisfaction. Yeah. So unlike the first part of life where we're developing our ego and trying to, you know, win and rise and and you know, go upward in in a different way, um we unlike that, we are you know, eventually you have to, if we don't move into the second half of life, there is some deep, you know, sadness and darkness yeah. there and, and depression or just sort of roteness to it. Yeah. And then, you know, in the second part of life and the in, in second part of life, by the way, it can start early. I mean, oh, some yeah, people yeah. go into ashes really young and have terrible things that happen to them and it moves them into um, a more mature, because I think in, in the United States, we have a lot of people growing old. We don't have a lot of people growing up. Yeah. Um, not a lot of people planting trees for the children, mostly just, you know, taking trees for whatever they need to build. <laughs> yep. So, um, but what I'm saying here is that people, people thrive on meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. And um, when, if you, if you have your, 
identity, your identity will change. But if you can kind of start gathering, what is my identity? What's important to me? What do I really value? And and doing that contemplation work and that reflection work outside of all the social pressures and mm-hmm. work pressures or whatever relationship pressures, then you can really start moving into your purpose and meaning. And then, then there, even if things aren't, you know, external, externally wonderful, yeah. you're satisfied. You yep. know, those people that are just content, not all the time, we, you know, but, you know, more content and just they're, they, they, they're actually happy with their life yeah. because of what's going on with their meaning. Yeah. You know, that, you know, people are always trying to find that thing that'll make them happy. And it's not the thing, it's the meaning. And sometimes it's the job, you mm-hmm. know, if you really love your work and that's what it is, or sometimes it's the hobby. Um, but a lot of, t- but you can't do, it's not just something to do. It's also what you, how you are with yourself. Yeah. Because if, if you can work on being with yourself and understanding your emotions and understanding why you do certain behaviors, which does take some time, mm-hmm. then you can be in relationship with the world and with people in a way that is fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. So like I would say, if if you can figure out who you are and who what's valuable to you and important to you, then really no matter what you're doing or what you have, you're doing what's valuable to you right so like if you um if even in the situation where you've kind of moved into that i know who i am and stuff kind of goes really poorly you lose your house you lose everything in your life right what you have then is you can still sit there and say well i'm authentically doing the thing that i want to do right and for a man what that means in that situation then is then you're able to move into less of a me focus thing and a lot more of a of a collective focused mindset really which I, it seems kind of backwards in a way because earlier we were talking about like how you kind of have to like break free of all this stuff and we're like well shouldn't that mean you should be by yourself but it actually the reverse happens where when you start to know who you are then you're able to start to let people in and you start to be able to be protective and caring of other people because you don't have to strive you don't have to step on people's heads to get to the next thing you just have to have what's valuable to you in your container yes that's well put and so in that way you can return to your community of origin and know who you are and not change and not wear a mask and you can you can find your community and find the people that make uh that fill up your cup or whatever you want to call it and there you don't have to be someone else and sometimes you don't find the job where you can do that i mean let's be real i mean yeah. that, that it is a tough world out there with resources um you know but you know you can find a space to be who you are with other people and so in that that is a way to really find out who you are as a man yeah and there's so many archetypes uh, of men that we could go into, um, but that's a whole nother other podcast. <laughs> Maybe that'll be our part two. Part two. But, <laughs> Talking um, about male archetypes. <laughs> but yes, I mean, the authentic male experience is, is trying to, is combining what you learned from the first part of life and your ego and maybe the ashes and downfall, hopefully, mm-hmm. to and then the integration to be able to... Um, 
speak from your heart and integrate your emotions with your strength. Exactly. Because if a man only has physical strength or economic strength or uh, prowess, sexual prowess, he is missing a whole other part. And uh-huh. then there's going to be a lot of pathology and dysfunction. Yeah. But if a man can learn to integrate um, what his emotions are, not that he has to be all emotional or whatever you want to yeah, call it. Yeah. I'm not being stereotypical here, but but understanding his emotions, he becomes stronger yeah. because people respect that. Mm-hmm. When you when you understand your emotions and why you're saying the things you do and why you're doing the things you do and how you hold yourself, you're respected. I think it's it's uh, there's all these funny stories of men who have really just, I don't know, they're they're in the, they're still in the first half of life and they're like forty five or fifty. Oh yeah, and they're 60, like something like a manager of some company, and they're just known for being this. I don't know, like terrible in this individual that no one can stand, right? Yeah. But everyone tiptoes and walks around them mm-hmm. because they have no almost no emotional intelligence except how to manipulate people. Yeah, and um, in that. You you don't want to be that. It's it's miserable, and then you're always wondering why why are people why are people fearing me? And then yeah. you want people to fear you. Maybe it's it it's not integrated, and so uh, and so then they get this wake up call one day from human resources where they're like, you know what, you might need to tamper your behavior <laughs> based on our policies. And the person's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, why? What do you what do you mean? Like I can't say this and do this and throw my weight around, and you know, as part of the collective group here at this job. And uh, it's it's a rude awakening because they haven't um, had feedback, maybe from another male or yeah. or, or a friend or, or or even a woman to say, hey, um, you know, have you ever noticed that you act like this around other people? Um, you know, they've just this is a total stereotype, by the way, but you know, they've just kind of gone their own way and kept rising and 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 fighting and and winning, you know, and yeah. and. Um, you know, no one likes to lose, but I've lost a lot in my life and I feel, and it sucks so bad. Yeah. And if you're out there right now and you're like, man, I'm just losing, this is just yeah. terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, hang on because you, you know, unless it's the end of your life, you will continue yeah. to live. And then what, what can I learn from that loss? And, yeah. and a lot of times for me, it's been slow down, open up something to write on, use your skills, use your coping skills. What, what do you, what is really important right now? Yeah. We get so caught up in so many things, even when we're trying to do our best work, but you know, things happen and we have to be able to contemplate what is, what are we going to learn from this difficult experience? And I think, you know, not to, uh, not to make this go on forever, but <laughs> I think there's there's always a process where you can learn more. Yeah. And I think the human as humans, we don't want that. Yeah. I think we like I think what who who said that? Was it uh Richard Rohr? Yeah, who said, who said uh, that, your that, ego wants to stay the way yeah, it is. Your ego wants to stay the way that it is, and it attaches to the past and present. It's like, oh yeah, things are great. And um, and it fears the future. So, uh, yes, my ego fears the future too, which is why it's important to try to stay in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I had one more thought about that, that has currently left my brain, which is, uh, just the thought that if I could say one thing that I kind of would want someone to take away from what we've talked about, it's that going into times of heartache and pain and loss should be used to learn and to grow. Right. 
everybody goes through it. So don't be afraid when you're there. Don't try to strive immediately to get out of it. Figure out what you can learn from it. Call a counselor. We're pretty awesome. Um, but like it, everybody kind of goes through it. So don't be afraid to go through hard. It's not times. just you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the world is, you know, people could say a lot of things about it, but one of my mentors said, uh, the world has always been a difficult and kind of rather effed up place. <laughs> and once in a while, it's going to F with you. Yeah. Don't be surprised when it does. Yeah. And so I think a lot of times, especially in our culture, which is a lot about the surface, um, we're a little surprised when the world screws with us, yeah. so to speak. Um, but listen, no one likes to go through that. But sure. there is um, hope. There is there is ways to go through it. Um, you don't have to do it by yourself. Um, you can call a therapist in your area, find a good mentor mm-hmm. friend, um, find a good friend that you can be honest with, find a, a support group. Um, there's about 10,000 support groups online, many other things you can do. Um, you're not alone, but you got to hang on through the, through the periods of time, uh, where things are not great. Exactly. I agree. And, um, staying alive is important. And then we've (laughs) got to learn from it. That's the issue. Mm -hmm. If we go back, we're just going back to something that isn't working. Yeah. An unhealthy life. So, uh, if you're interested in to know more, uh, a lot of work from James Hillman uh, from the 80s uh, men's work, stuff you can find online just by Googling that. The book we were referring to, some of the metaphors, is Iron John by Robert Bly. Yep. Great book. And you also are referencing Richard Rohr's book, Falling Upward. Correct. Yeah. And if you really want to dive deep, <laughs> you can uh, check out any book by Carl Jung, although I find a lot of times people get a lot more out of reading books about what Carl Jung wrote for two pages. That's a whole novel about that. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I think that's, uh, uh, you know, I didn't quote this person, but Rainier Marie Rocha is also a good writer on this as well. I forgot to mention that. But um, yeah. yeah, thanks so much for listening, Adam. I appreciate you being on the Intentional Clinician podcast, and where can Thanks people find you? Me. Yeah, uh, you can find me uh, the best places on Instagram. In all honesty, if you want to see Whoa. what I'm writing about, okay. it's at the Manly Counselor, uh, tongue in cheek about that name. Um, and then uh, I also have a website of the same name. And then you can also find me at healthforlife.com. Uh, healthforlifegr.com. Healthforlifegr.com. Yeah. Um, and yeah, those are kind of the best places to find me. So yeah, Google Adam Nash, Grand Rapids, you'll find him. Yeah, I'm the only one here. <laughs> All right. I will see you off now down the back of the ridge. There's just something that I got to show you. There is no more and there's right in the common case It ain't nothing what you say is true With your long arms trapped and just give some time Presently it does include my dues Ain't your standard premonitions all this phallic repetition Or you tell yourself a tale or two Yeah.
that we set off for a common place And the last hand rock to do How much caring is there of some American love When there's lovers sleeping in our streets So cerebrous rap Until next time on the Intentional Clinician Podcast, I wish you all a safe and peaceful month. If you are searching for electronic medical records, I recommend Simple Practice. If you are interested in trying out Simple Practice, I have provided a link in the notes of this episode for a 30-day free trial. And if you utilize the link I have provided and decide to subscribe, this podcast will get a small referral fee. I thank you in advance. If you are looking to get involved in advocacy for helping increase mental health access and quality of services, I recommend getting involved with the Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association. The Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association is working to increase the availability of quality mental health services statewide, increasing education. Uh, for the public, promoting best practices, and working to keep licensed professional counselors and other professionals accessible. You can check out episodes 32 and 33 to find out more about why I'm talking about this. Or just join a professional organization with a good vision and mission to help the people. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss, and while these are based upon literature he has read and his experience in the field, they should not be viewed as the definitive opinion on any subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in a crisis, please call 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-8255. If you are in need of counseling services, do not hesitate to make an appointment with your local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in Grand Rapids at the Health for Life Grand Rapids office or the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting the website www.healthforlifegr.com. That's www.healthforlifegr.com. That is the office that Paul Krauss is the clinical director of. I am working in 2020 to bring more trainings to clinicians around the Midwest and in Arizona, and I may be working on a training for the general public uh, that will be available online. If you are enjoying the Intentional Clinician podcast, please share it with your friends or post it on social media. I would surely appreciate it. Until next time, I'm your host, Paul Krauss. Take care, everybody.